to everyone this is your host vance here that's right today's wednesday 9 p.m sharp we are live of course with every session we come in with a different topics and uh today's topic of course you all have seen our banners of course a roof over your head right and uh over the past couple of weeks we have been uh, covering a lot of on the health sectors we talked with, with a lot of doctors uh and also nutritionists and a lot of stuff that we, we is going on in corporate events. And today we want to talk something about a roof overhead. And uh, we got someone who's very experienced, a very good friend of mine as well. Um, I'm not going to delay any more moments. I'm going to invite Sean Travolta. Hi, Sean. Hi, Vance. How are you doing? I'm good, sir. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, it's been a wonderful day. I've been following your corporate events uh, for a while now. Really amazing work you guys are doing uh, in, in the area of health and all that. I was more or less trying to, to you know, uh, get my health better. You know, we realtors tend to overwork ourselves to the ground sometimes and uh, investing in our health is really critical. And that's how I got involved in your, in your program as well. Well, fantastic work. Keep that going. Happy to be on board. Uh, very privileged to be here today. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Um, on the lighter side, not on the serious side, on the lighter side, where is your jumbo planes parked? I wish, I wish. <laughs> because you know, when 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 I was saying like Sean Travolta, people were like, hey, who is that Travolta? You know. But of course, uh, I'm sure you're going to get a plane as well in soon in the future. I hope. I hope. I, I used to. I used to do recreational flying though, uh, wow, and that's somehow great. That's great Travolta is, is someone I, I always resonated with. Uh, with an with a keen interest in aviation, so yes, you you got that uh, very spot on actually. Uh, Thank you. Yep, yeah, I would definitely want to buy a plane sometime in the future just for recreational flying nearby, things like that. Thank you, Sean. Uh, thank you for joining me at Kopi Events. I know um, it's your time right now. I mean, busy day. You'll be moving around, and right now you're spending one hour of your precious time. You should spending with your family or doing your work. But thank you so much for yeah, spending time with Kopi Events. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not drinking coffee today. I'm drinking some lemon water because, uh, ah. you know, we've been talking a lot. Uh, Sean, <laughs> before we go on, um, could you just do yourself an introduction so that our viewers will know who we are engaging today with? So maybe you want to do a quick introduction about yourself, Sean? Yeah. Okay. 
So my name is Sean Travolta. I have been a realtor for the last 10 years. Uh, I have seen the industry go up and uh, come down. I've seen people uh, make money. I've seen people lose money by making the wrong decisions in real estate. I've been uh, privileged and blessed to have been working with many of my clients who provide me repeated business uh, referrals and things like that. Uh, I also have the privilege of working with many high net worth individuals, uh, both locals and, and uh, foreigners as well. So uh, I had also the opportunity to transact not just HDB, uh, but private properties, penthouses, uh, landed properties, and even Sentosa high net worth uh, properties as well. So I, I do carry that experience with me. Um, it's a very interesting trade. Uh, you learn every single day. At the same time, you always look forward to new opportunities. Uh, it's a very evolving trade. So we always have to have our head on the ground uh, and, and listen to things very keenly and provide the best for our clients at the end of the day. And I got to say, Sean, I mean, I, I watched some of your uh, videos in TikTok. I mean, very interesting. Um, there are certain topics that you talk about. I think it's very important and I think it's very crucial as well. Hmm. I think my, my TikTok is something I started off very recently. I mean, uh, Vance, I'm, I'm actually in my 40s now. So TikTok and me is like uh, chicken and duck, you know, in that sense. Okay. <laughs> but, but then, you see, you know, uh, as, as, as a realtor, it, it's also a character trait of you, whether you will go to that extent to come out of your comfort zone to do things uh, for the benefit of your client. And, and I take that as an attitude, you know, you know, um, Pretty much what we do in our in our work, in our lives, is, is more or less a set attitude. It's a set of habit. It's a set of behavior. And, and if you are not someone willing to challenge yourself, challenge what people think you will not do, uh, it will really run you down at times. And, and to me, the, what drives me always uh, in, in this trade, because it's a, it's a trade which is very uh, challenging. You have uh, very interesting people you'll come to contact with. Um, it's a challenge because it's a trait which you have to constantly motivate yourself. You have to constantly pick yourself up and go because as they say, right. you've got no boss. You've got no boss to manage you. Okay. But when you've got no boss, you can become lazy. You can wake up at 11, you know. And, and to be honest, compared to my times, I used to work in the government service, you know, 15 over years. Uh, I used to have regular sleeping patterns. But today, I, I wake up very early in the morning. I sleep very late at night. And, and that's also right. why I start watching your programs, you know. Because I also Thank want you. to see doing things right or not, whether I'm overrunning myself, whether I'm going towards burnout and things like that. But Sean, I, I got to stop you here for a while. Um, yeah. You know, I, I got some information because you are the uh, founder of Unicorn Division. Uh, and, I, and I saw you um, in one of your videos that you actually went sending pamphlets door by door. Uh, I thought usually the founders are always at the back seat and, you know, uh, the front lines are the rookies we'll be going through. But in your in your case, you are on the ground. So what's the secret behind that? You see, you, you can't win a battle by having the general right at the back. That, that's my philosophy. I think if you if you look back in history, the Yom Kippur War, right? The general, uh, if I'm not wrong, it's Benjamin Netanyahu's brother. He fought in the forefront. He was killed in battle and he led the army to victory. And, you know, you, if you want to build a team, you want to, you want to do exceptional work, you have to be in the front line at, at the very, very front, at the tip of the spear. If you are not doing the legwork, if you're not putting in the sweat equity, you will not be able to effectively tell people how to lead towards that success. 
So for me, it's also a very interesting thing. You see, many of us will think that, hey, why am I going on the ground to do it? It's an attitude for me. When I go on the ground and I talk to owners of landed properties, I'm firstly going down there to check out for my buyers what is the current market trend. That, that's the real feedback you get, not some newspaper report, not some so-called experts, not so-called gurus who are telling you and giving you predictions from nowhere. These are real people you're meeting on the ground, the real owners. Right Now, what is the flip side of that? A lot of people fear managing questions, managing expectations, managing their emotions on the ground. To me, it's, it's this way. Lah, you know, uh, If you don't go on the ground, you don't talk to them, you will not know a lot of things, number one. But if you are not able to manage their questions the first time, you come back, you get rejected, you don't want to go it again. It's your attitude. For me, if I can't answer it right now, what have I gone wrong? I improve myself. It puts me on my toes because you need to have the information at your fingertips. So it goes back to, of course, what you're prepared to do. Your preparation is key. Going down there, engaging, you need to have the answers ready. You need to manage the people. You need to work with them. You know, you know, one of the things they will always say, you know, if you go and knock on the door, you must wear very smartly. Uh, yeah. You must wear a long sleeve and all that. What, what, one of the videos I saw, you are wearing Bermudas, if, if, if I got that right. I actually wear my track shoes, my sports attire, and I treat it as I'm going for my walk, you know. So right. it's a two-in-one thing. I, I get to get my morning walks done. I get to put in my steps while talking to people at the same time. So it's, it's, it's easy. I only have 24 hours in a day. I need to better utilize and maximize my time for the most number of benefit. And being a civil servant, we, we, we always design things in such a way there's more than one uh, benefit out of doing one single activity. You build a shopping mall, you must drive traffic there. You must have interchanges down there. You must have a lot of sub-economies going on around there because that piece right. of land must generate revenue. It must have commercial value now and in the near future. So when we, you come with that kind of background, right? Every single step I'm about to take, I must, I must think of how to, how to make that more effective for me, how to make it more effective for my clients also. Right. So that, that's how I run. And yeah, you are right. I always go in my shorts and t-shirt. One very funny story actually which happened. I was going to this landed property to just put some flyers and all that. And this guy was standing outside doing his gardening. So I said, hello, how are you? He said, hey, uh, okay, what is it? Oh, because, you know, my buyers are looking to buy in this area. This is my leaflet and all that. And all. He said, you look and say, hey, how much they pay you per hour uh, to go and draw this flyer? So I say, no, la, boss. I'm not the flyer boy. La. I'm actually the agent. Huh? I thought normally they come wear long sleeve and tie. I think, yeah. no, la, hey, I have to walk many houses to go and check for my client. Eh. I wear long sleeve and tie. By the time 10 house only, I'm sweating like mad. No? Uh, you don't mind I talk to you like this. He said, no, la, no, la, come in. Let's have a coffee. Wow. So you got a actually, coffee break? Actually, that was the icebreaker. I just I just entered that house because I was dressed as casually as him. All right. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure if I see, if he sees somebody, because he's fine, salesmen are coming in with long sleeve and tie. So if he sees you as a salesman down there, I, I don't know whether he would have done that. But that, that short moment, you see, that's why I said uh, it, it puts you on your toes, you know. It's how you react and respond at that moment in time, which you can make it or break it. And, and, and putting yourself on the edge down there every single time you go out is very important to drive you forward. Right. So you got a coffee break. You met, you 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 have another friend and there's a potential of you to uh, market it out, his property, or maybe even he buys. So I think you are not eating two birds in one stone. You're eating three birds in one stone. Am I right? Or four, because you're exercising as well. Actually, 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 Bingo. 
he didn't want to sell the house immediately. He's saying who are the other neighbors selling the houses down there. <laughs> and he's telling me <laughs> so that he's yeah, I'll you can talk to them. Okay. <laughs> because they lived down there for many years. They will know all their names, right? So, you know, if you break into one, you break into the entire community already. Thank you, Sean. So, ground, you know. Thank you. So you you are you are eating many birds in one stone. Um, I'm going to jump into the question uh, that has already been okay. set up for you. Um, of okay. course, there's a lot of questions to engage you, uh, viewers. You can also able to engage Sean if you do have any questions. We are in Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. We are LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook Live. So we are in all social media. So Sean. Um, you know, I've been reading news about how property prices are going up and inflation is rising to make basic things more expensive. Will housing continue being affordable? What is your take on that? Because we can see sometimes there's even, yeah, there's also a topic that we talk about a $1 million, if I if I got that right, something right, yeah, $1 yeah, million yeah, yeah. property. Yeah, maybe you want to share that, uh, Sean, because I know you are, you, are, you are speaking about that. You know, everyone today focuses on $1 million HTB, $1 million HTB, right? You know what's the joke or not, actually? $1 million is not really a big thing anymore already. You know, last year, there were 262 $1 million HDBs sold. Right wow. now, we haven't even finished. We haven't even started fourth quarter of the year yet. We're already breaking that number already. And I have this feeling by end of this year, it's going to hit 300. And in, that's still not the best part, you know. The juiciest part is we are not at 1.1 million, 1.2 million anymore. The highest transactor is 1.418 million at Dawson for a five. Yeah? 1.418 uh. million. So when we are talking about expensive, right? I think people get that impression that you know, why HDB is going at 1.4 million. Oh, my goodness, how to afford, right? How to afford, right? Okay, I, I, I let's look at it this way. Eh? Housing prices are going up. Inflation is rising. Everything is more expensive, right? Are you still buying property today? That's the fundamental thing. For every $1 million HDB sold, the news coming out, right? It means that there is not just a seller and no buyer, no. There is a buyer willing to pay the price. We are always thinking of the house sold at $1 million, But everyone seems to ignore the fact that there is actually a buyer who paid that price, you know. And the buyer right. cannot pay the price and go through the transaction without being able to afford, Right? So if he's able to afford that price, even the guy who bought for 1.418 million, it still shows it's affordable. But again, again, I will always emphasize this. 1 million and above transactions are increasingly going to become more and more common. I will say this again. Eh? 1 million and above transactions is going to become more and more common and very soon, all of y'all in the future will be transacting at 1 million and above. It's a very wow. bold statement, but we have, just just bear with this. Huh? There's, there's this. There's, you have to see the alignment, you know. Last year two six two, this year three hundred. Next year can be three fifty. Why? Cost of goods going up. Cost of basic materials are going up. To build houses today is getting more expensive, especially after COVID because of your supply chain disruption. Cost of material goods going up. Cost of labor has also increased because if you today put a person in a dormitory in Singapore and putting him five years ago, the cost is very different today. Because of COVID, everything is very differently managed. There's a cost implication to things and things are becoming more and more expensive. So if things are becoming more and more expensive, 
do you expect the developers or the business people who are selling you the houses to actually maintain the same price? We see even your kopi. You know kopi? We drink kopi, right? In coffee shop. Even kopi yeah. prices are going up. So, yes. everything is going up because costs will go up. Inflation will naturally drive the price forward. Inflation will always have to drive the price forward. But inflation will bring along salary increases. Which is why... A we, quick, we, we, uh, I got a quick question for you, Sean. Um, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt here. Um, if someone is buying... A, I mean about due respect, uh, a, a million dollar property in HDP. Why right. are not they investing in condominium? Okay. It really depends on the individual. Okay. There are people today who want to buy a good HDB in very good locations. There are a number right. of reasons for this. Because if you take a look at HDB prices and condo prices, can you see a location where the condo price is cheaper than HDB? Really? Really, right? So if you go towards the central location, HDBs, okay, you need to understand that there will always be a natural price gap. Where is this price gap? For your four-room flat and five-room flats, you compare it with the three-bedroom condominiums. What is the gap? There's a certain buffer down there between this pricing. If central locations is a little bit more fatter because you don't have this component called executive condominiums. If you have an EC in that equation down there, then your gap thins a little bit. So you have a few things to bridge the gap to. So if you go to the outer core region, the gap is a bit thinner because from a HDB, you will jump to an executive condominium before it goes to a condominium. So there will that be the, the gap is still there, but you have a, a bridging product in between. But in the core central region, there's no bridging product. So it will the, right. the HDBs will try to always catch up with the three bedrooms. For example, if you look at Pinnacle and Duxton. Everybody's trying to compete with the locations down there, condominium. You know, if you take a look, one Pearl Bank, it's easily transacted at 2700 per square feet. So if you buy a, a 1000 square feet above, it's going to cost you $2.7 million. And a HDB down there is costing you maybe $1.3 million. Is that two times price gap very natural? Is it very normal? If you go to another estate, let's say Haugang, Haugang, a three-bedroom condominium will cost you about, if you go for the cheapest one, probably a million dollars. And your five-room flat, what is the price down there? Five to six hundred, almost seven hundred dollars now. If you go to Upper Serangoon Avenue, they are transacting about seven hundred thousand. Gap is about three hundred thousand. So if the gap is three hundred thousand in terms of ratio, right? You compete down there and you see, yeah, it's almost double. So the gap is very wide. So there is still room for the price to grow. Because there's no bridging product called executive condominiums down there. So that will cause that concern. But I think for general people, right, they should not be overly concerned about this because at the end of the day, um, two, a few things determine your affordability. Number one, your income. Number two, your leverage, which is whatever your loan is, whether you have a HDB loan or you take a bank loan, your leverage. Okay. And I'll talk about this later when, when, we, when we dwell deeper into the subject. So you put this together and your CPF. If you have put in your money in the right property today and is seeing money, that cash component, all this will form your purchasing power. And that will form your affordability in a large sense. So that is where it becomes uh, very objective. But this topic of affordability can become subjective to a lot of people because 
you have to understand everybody has their likes and dislikes everybody has their have their thoughts and 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 opinions about things and we can speak strictly on numbers but everybody have their own issues to deal with not everybody will have the kind of cash free play to go in and do things they may have other things to deal with they may have other expenses they have elderly parents to take care of or they have young children to go and send to school to so many of these things will interplay and cause the emotion to run it is also right. important to understand that if they are around a circle of people who have the same thoughts they will always be echoing the same thing also yeah one thing for sure i'm a bit astonished here You you seem to know all the numbers in your head. Are you looking in some kind of screen which shows you, uh, Strangon, you got these kind of prizes? How do you able to remember all these numbers in your fingertips? Well, number one, I have transacted in these areas before, so I I sort of know the pricing in most of these estates. And another part of my work, you see, it's not just about talking to clients. My part of the work, I go out, I knock on people's door, I talk to people, I have clients, I, I show houses and all that, right? But a good chunk of my work, which starts very early in the morning, is doing a lot of research, a lot of market research, market intelligence. Every morning, I check which are the houses transacted, one million and above. Uh, this area, what is coming down there? What is coming over here? What are the transacting prices over here? These are things which I need to know because you you cannot be telling your client, uh, you hold on, I go and check and come back to you. You hold on. I check and come back to you. Then you check and come back. Will never come back. One day will not come back to you after that. So you need to they know things in perspectives, lah. A lot of things preparation is. You need you you need to. People all there are many agents uh, who only start preparing themselves when they have a client talking to them. Right. I can't afford to do that. I mean, if if you uh, want to be a successful agent, right, you want to do. big transactions for clients and all that you you can't afford to tell them uh, hold on uh, i go and check this and come back to you no it doesn't work that way it's on that spot you need to know at least right. the, the 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 ground level information so, so that's how, how years of uh, sorry you were saying something so it's basically a lot of preparation work lah you do that every right. single day shon how many years of uh, experiences you have in the property line I started this. Uh, I started in property in 2012, uh, right after leaving my government service work. I was in the civil service for 15 years. I I pretty much worked in uh, law enforcement for a good period of time, and then I went on to do some policy work in the ministry. And then from there, I I, I was an accidental property agent, lah. Just just to digress a little bit, lah. Uh, if the topic is becoming a bit too numbered and <laughs> so this is the story of how I became property agent, lah. My wife was a property agent when she met me and we got married. I was still a civil so servant. Got, so she motivated you to be one. She motivated no. you to be one. No, actually, I, 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 okay, you know, property agent and usually weekends they work a lot. And after working out, so I was naturally the driver. Like, you know, we have one car. So she'll come and fetch me. Then I will drive her because I'm pretty good on the roads. Saturday, Sunday, she will tell me, okay, I need to do all these things. Okay, don't worry, I got mental GPS. I will go everywhere. So as I was bringing around and all that, right? We we I'll listen to all the conversations she have with the clients and all that. Suddenly you're talking to them and bring them around. So you will chit chat, do some small talk. So she was serving this one client, which is actually a Bangladeshi guy. He runs businesses over there. He already has one property in Singapore. He was looking to buy the second one. So he wanted to buy a little India area. She arranged a few places to go and see, and then I brought her around, brought them around and see. He keep telling me balcony small lah, this one lah, that one lah, this one not good, not good condition. All these things he was saying, fine. After that, since he had nothing down there left, I knew there was this uh, launch done by Faiz at Bedok Reservoir. So what I did was I told him, "Okay, look, uh, Mr. Farooq, shall we go and just take a look or not? There's this new development. Just go and see. Tell me what's the area, Bedok? Ah, huh? what Bedok? 
you come and see la very near airport very nice place and all that say okay free ride drive 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 go down there then the developer showed everything and all that then he told me you come here you see this map right what is coming here what is coming there you government soon you will know okay la so i was put on the spot ready right everything on the feet you see my training started very early eh preparation right, look right, at the right. plan you know you see if the government put here 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 means what is coming down there you roughly you know because you know you you are trained to think very far ahead you know our master plans yeah. are not just 5 years if you look at ura is 5 year 5 year technically it's 25 50 years now 25 to 50 year ahead the road map is already done so when you know how the how how these guys the, the city planners think and all that you more or less will know no so i told you okay roughly this way the mrt is coming true enough came already bro grass why mrt he saw he called the wife in dhaka and after that he said okay i like this house and he took the second last floor 14th floor it was 15th floor development he took the 14th floor now saturday eh, afternoon so basically he was ready to go but he has no checkbook because his banker is switched off ready city bank is closed so what do you do now i told my wife now when you wait down here start the paperwork i drive the car went back home take my checkbook put for him on monday we switch the checks that's how we transacted that was my first property deal i did i haven't even joined anything yet i'm not even a realtor yet no then my wife told me hey you have the talent for it lah you, you, you know, know uh, it just reminds me right now maybe perhaps she was training you already you know when you when we are driving she is speaking to the clients and you know you got to go and fetch her and pick up her. so i think she's already grooming you and training you to become the top uh, consultant invariably because you know why for me the thing is this you know i pick up things very fast i i learn very quickly i also grasp uh, this is what a lot of people have told me like the, the more complicated things right, i pick up very quickly the more difficult concepts to understand i pick up quickly but probably it's also because of my training in the government service i am i'm forever thankful for that experience because when you sit at that level and you look at things from a very high level view right it's easy for people to criticize what the civil servants are doing but you will never know what they are doing until you step into their shoes it's not easy you have a lot of accountability in your work so so that right. actually like sort of started my training into this actually you know shan um, at this point of time i'm going to ask you something um yeah. you got you started what in 2012 mm. so that is about what eight sorry eight 10 years 10 uh, years, years right the maths yeah. um what does a real estate agent um need a good kind of those kind of good attitudes because we i mean of course there in the past where someone who is only chooses you know or oh, I, i only want to do this i don't want to do that uh, but how do you coach your rookies or your you know in 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 your line what do you think those kind of qualities is needed to be a successful agent i think fundamentally uh, if you if you want to be a real estate agent you you need to number one number one understand how the business works and you need to see whether you are someone who who actually uh, are up for that challenge because you know why a lot of people coming in uh, they are not mentally prepared for the challenge they are about to take all they see is wow this agent get millionaire that agent is a millionaire this fellow earns so much this fellow driving maserati that fellow driving a ferrari but you don't know what goes on for them to sit behind that wheel it's never easy to walk the path they have walked but everybody only sees what they are doing right now and they never see the journey which they took to reach down there and i think that is fundamentally very important a lot of agents are coming in with very wrong ideas of oh i come in within 3 years i can do this i can do that there's a natural learning curve in this industry 
you need to align yourself with good leaders also who are willing to open up and teach you. I can tell you, real estate playbook. Eh? I I didn't know the full playbook until like maybe last year. It took a long number of years to really earn the trust of your seniors before they open up their playbook and they show you. Okay, this is how the twenty percent are working. This is how they score their real big deals. This is how they transact for their clients. How their clients kept coming back to them again and again and again. The real insider secret. So is it some, uh, some kind of a magic book? You know? Ah uh, no lah, bro. Actually, yeah, uh, there's no magic book lah. It's 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 whether you have the ability to see things beyond what you're seeing. You see, yeah. Uh, A lot of us, when when trainers teach us a lot of things, they 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 tell you, okay, you go and do this, go and do that, go and do that. A lot of us are just focusing on the content down there. Today, a lot of people are focusing on the content. But when I train my rookies, and I tell them, look, you have been doing all this training, all this training, all this training. What are you not trained to do now, and which they are doing, and you don't know? So I always ask them to look out for what these guys are not training. There are a lot of leaders out there not training their people hundred percent. And they will not do that also until you are in their confident book. Until you are their right hand, left hand, they will not. I am privileged because in my company right now, I'm I'm in that position where they are telling me everything. So it is transforming the way I'm doing my business. Already, I'm putting in a lot of effort to get things done. But this extra boost of five percent is really where where right. the magic lies. This is where you really deliver your absolute best to your clients, and your clients keep coming back to you again and again and again. At this point of time, again, um, Sean, we have uh, a weaver here, Billy Silva. He said, "Well, behind every success man, there's a legendary woman to push you up." So thanks, <laughs> Billy, for that. Uh, definitely a booster for Sean and his partner. Thank you so much for definitely, that. Definitely, definitely for sure, for sure. Thank you so much, Billy. So um, let's move on to the next question. Um, yes, COVID has became the everybody's not the best friend. You know. Um, mm-hmm. It does a lot of damage, took so many lives, put everybody into a different kind of situation, and now we are in this virtual. It's also because of that, even though we are ready to meet up in real person. But um, what is the status was like pre-COVID versus post-COVID or during the COVID? What exactly has happened in the property, Sean? I think this is a very very broad question. Um, there are many areas to to talk about in this segment, but. Uh, let me just keep it a, a little bit uh, right. simple. I don't go into the very small details because if you go into it, I think the whole day is not enough. <laughs> so pre-COVID, pre-COVID, the market was slightly very different. Uh, it was a more buoyant market. We had a lot more new launches then, uh, so the resale market was a little bit more stagnant. Uh, people were tight between BTO and uh, and uh, and uh, resale HDBs, but resale HDBs were not getting. That much attention that he's doing right now, uh, because everybody wanted something new. They were always after something new, something new, something new, and, and it's for very good reason. You see, if you buy a newer property, you are buying the property at a higher price, yes, but the higher price is connected to the land value, the actual land value, which was released at that material time. So you are buying something of high value. Let's say you're paying more. You cannot compare right. a newer HDB flat to an older HDB flat. I say, how come this has a price disparity? There will be a price disparity because that land price is different from this land price. So you you can't draw the apple to apple comparison. But that was because people were prepared to wait. New launch condominium people prepared to wait for three to four years. BTO people were prepared to wait for three to four years. Then COVID struck. When COVID struck, number one, all construction sites were shut down. 
So all your BTOs and your new launches were already stunted in their uh, in their construction efforts and things like that. All of the workers were in isolation. So when that happened, right, it took a good almost four months for for this situation to stabilize. In fact, the situation was drawing a little bit longer. The first two months of the circuit breaker, nothing was going on because uh, if I can if I can articulate this part, I was also helping the COVID nineteen task force during that period. I was called back because of my police background. Right. I was helping directly dealing with this situation in the isolation and all that. I'm not going to go into those details because okay. of the secrecy agreements and all that. But, you know, it was stuck at that time because everyone was trying to grapple with this new silent enemy. There's no way for you to know whether this guy is going to recover in 10 days, 15 days, 20 days, 30 days. Right. People were in isolation for almost two months because we, we were trying to learn this new disease and its patterns and whether reintegrating these people into the society will be beneficial or not. You know, infected people, you don't want to send them more outside and then they start creating another viral chain. It was very, very uncertain right. times. And by the time we got a grasp and we start testing the dormitories, then, whoa, everything started. <laughs> Suddenly, the numbers exploded. Okay? So, all the dormitories are shut down as well. And when you shut down a dormitory, you want to isolate people, right? You need to spin them out. So, they were starting to have clean dorms within the dorm area so that people recovered within a certain time frame, right? As a time-based discharge, then they push them inside here. For that to happen, this has to be sanitized. So initially, they were sent to army camps and all that. Then they started to clean up the dorms. So this whole cycle and the coordination took some time because there was no real workforce or, or task group set up to monitor this entire uh, chain of events. And from that perspective, right, it took a longer time for the government to calibrate everything because it's, it's totally out of whack. Everybody was working, burning midnight hours. I, I remember I start every day at about 7.30 in the morning and I come back midnight, sometimes at 2 o'clock in the morning. And the next day I go back again. For the first two weeks, we didn't have any rest days. That was how we were working like crazy, I tell you. But then after that, things started to stabilize. And then once they realized the workers are okay, are fully recovered, they started to reintegrate back construction. That took almost five to six months. So basically, in terms of your development, right, five to six months of actual labor going into that, Stopped. That's one thing. Now, your construction materials, your supply chain is out because vessels are not moving because people coming in supply vessels are getting infected. When you have an infected vessel right. coming in, you have to apply a pratik. That means they have to be quarantined at sea. So there were things like this going on and, and everybody was trying to grapple with the flow, what the international community is trying to do, how to streamline this in a way that trade can kickstart while we don't stunt ourselves and create a new, uh, a new explosion in terms of virality. Things like this was... It was a very heavy mess to be said, if I would articulate correctly. But but we we persevered and we got that through. And and COVID impacted a lot in terms of cost, in terms of time, in terms of uh, value. But I, I think one reason why property prices did not drop during COVID, even though, even though, okay, even though a lot of people were asking me, can you find a fire sale going on? I can tell you zero fire sales are going on. The so the prices didn't drop at all? get from their client, hey, anybody doing desperate sale or not? No. I will. So can you imagine, huh? even that kind of situation, there are people with cash ready to buy people out, you know? There are people waiting with cash to buy. And where did these people come from? Just to give you a little bit of background, right? 2018, 2019, there was a slew of on blocks going on. Okay, many, many properties were going on on block. So, which means that developers have bought these places, they have paid out these guys, and these guys are now sitting with cash. 
you know, the total value of this two years of on-block transaction is almost $19.8 billion. $19.8 billion is ready to deploy. So while COVID was happening, developments were stunted. I was telling my clients, you don't worry, the market is not going to crash because this money is waiting to come in. You don't yeah. buy, they will buy. You don't buy, somebody will buy. Who's that somebody? This $90 billion waiting to buy. You, you see how the connection is? They're just holding on to right. the money. And anyway, the developer are chasing them up because they cannot start construction anyway. Right? So you put one and one together. That is why, uh, not just that. Right? There's just one specific factor which we are very lucky on because there was really cash to pump in. And today we see that happening. You see all these condominiums launching. 80% sold, 90% sold, 80% sold, 70% sold. Why is this happening? Because all these funds are really available. And another thing, why this did not crash? There's two reasons why market will crash. Because if you buy a property today and you want to sell it desperately, there's only one reason why. It's because you cannot afford to pay. If it's a house you're staying, it means you lost your job, you have no more income, you don't see income security, you're desperately downsized to move up because you don't want to pay these monthly overheads. That's one. If... Okay, you are not uh, someone who lose their job and you want to sell very fast. Okay, you will probably do it because you want to bring your money out of the country very quickly. So you will drop price. But drop price doesn't mean this guy lose money, you know. That was the foreigner advantage pre all these cooling measures. Okay, foreigners were able to sell at 100,000 lower and go off. They will crash the market. But when they exchange back the money in their currency, their currency has devalued against Singapore dollar. So which means they go back richer. But our people and their properties are just stagnant down there. This is why they have additional buyer stamp duty. So the cooling measures were there. They were already set up to prevent all these fluctuations from naturally happening when economy shifts here and there. So we were lucky because the government was ahead of its time. They're already seeing the trend happening. They've already seen the crash in the past. They studied it. And our civil servants are very intelligent. Uh, please, whatever people say around there, don't believe. They are highly intelligent. They know more things than what we think they know. And they already planned this out already. So the fundamentals were right. But at the same time, uh, at the same time, uh, while the fundamentals were right, we had a two-year good run of on-block and the money was ready to go in. And that's why you saw Pasirisit flying off the shelf, even though the price was high. Uh, Irwell Hill Residences was flying off the shelf. Canning Hill Pierce was flying off the shelf. A lot of the high-end properties were moving very fast. And right. because our fundamentals were right, our Singapore dollar was very strong, right? A lot of foreigners were also putting their money into Singapore. They were moving their money because, you see, when you talk about foreigners, I think we will be touching on that uh, a little bit more detail later. But when you come to foreigners, right, why they fundamentally buy in Singapore? Because our dollar is strong, our economy is solid. The fundamentals of real estate is, is fantastic. Nothing else around the world can compare to it. So that's why our pricing is crash. Thank you for that. Um, yes, uh, we are now live with Sean Travolta uh, talking about a roof over our head. He is the founder of Unicorn Division. And uh, yes, uh, viewers who are watching this right now, we are live in Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. You can uh, catch us as uh, YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Um, I'm going to go on to the next question, Sean. But before that, when is the best time to buy a property? Quick answer. Rapid fire. <laughs> Rapid fire. Okay. To yeah. be honest, 10 years ago. If you asked me 10 years ago. 10 years ago. The next best time? 20 years ago. You're just going to multiply. 
No, you see, bro, in those times, uh, you don't have all these cooling measures. That's one thing. Okay, yes, you don't have that much protection, but you also didn't have that much restriction at that time. At that time, if I were to go back 20 years ago, right, with $1 million, I can go and buy 10 $1 million properties and the bank would have paid me 90% loan for every single property. Wow. That was the market 20 years ago. So with my $1 million, I can be worth $10 million instantly. Today, I can't wow. do it. Yep. Uh, the game is different, right? Very different. It's very, very different. Today, the government is... Of course, of course, there were advantages in doing this at that time. We were a growing economy. So doing that would increase your asset value highly. So it was the right thing to do. Our economic growth was double digit and you know we were moving from third world to first world. That journey will naturally have double digit economic growth. It was the right time to do that. But when we are a developed country where we are highly connected globally, where small, small events here and there can shock the market a little bit, it is very, very important to be financially very prudent today. And I think this, this game of what 10, 10, 20 years ago people played will not be relevant today. But if right. you ask me, when's the best time? That was the best time. Because if I had done that okay. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, right. I would be very different person today. Um, you will be parking your jumbo jets, private uh, private planes. Got to come and meet you at your... You reminded yep. me. Yeah. I have to build a time machine now. I have to really look so, for yeah, a time machine. Sean, Sean Travolta, yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> we, we still wish you all the best. I, I know you work really hard. So wish you all the best for your private jets upcoming right. in the future. Um, Sean, let's touch a little bit on your, I mean, our income has risen up in the last 10 years. I know we covered a little bit of that, but maybe if we, if we can go a bit detailed and then we will move on to the next question. Itself. You see, uh, I had a client who was telling me that the prices are not uh, going to go up anytime soon. And not, I, mean, I meet my fair share of people who are naysayers, who always say that, no, I, I don't want to buy now because the price is going to crash next year because, you know, uh, it will not be affordable anymore for people because the income is not climbing up. You know, things like that. So, I, 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 you know, when you, when in your career, you have people telling you this, right? For me, I will go and check out the numbers because the numbers won't lie because I want to know whether it's, 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 uh, it's a fact or it's just a perception by someone. Perception. So, I dig up some stats. You know, in Singapore, there's Think Stats, right? Think Stats are actually a platform where all the statistics are parked. It's, it's open platform. Anybody can go and check on it. It's available. So, when I plotted the data, right, it clearly shows the last 20 years that uh, your income has doubled. What was the per GDP, uh, per, 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 per family nucleus revenue or something like that was about $4,000. Now it's like almost $8,000, per, per family income. So that is one indicator to show how the, prior, the the income has doubled over the last 20 years. In that same cycle, your real estate has gone up by 180% in terms of your pricing. Maybe with the COVID, because the statistics are at least one year behind time, right? So with that, maybe it's bridging the gap right now already. Uh, double by double. Uh, at the same time, I've seen the last 10 years, the last 10 years, this is a very interesting fact, Namru. They even have statistics to show the number of supercars on the road. Mm, right. They also monitor that trend. These are luxury goods, right? The, the population of luxury cars on the road in the last 10 years has doubled. Right. So if a lot of people are saying that, you know, um, we will not be able to afford anymore, afford anymore. The affordability is going up. There are people out there in their younger generation. I, I met my, my, my fair share of younger couples buying houses and all that. Their income is not like what we used to have. No, five, six thousand considered very good, no, during my time. 
today uh, their income is like twelve thousand to fifteen thousand dollars. Young couple in their in in their late twenties, just had a kid. They are doing pretty well. Both of them are graduates, probably working in the financial sector or something like that. They are they're earning about twelve to fifteen thousand as a combined household income. So with that kind of income and the age they have, right, the age projection, right, they're easily able to afford a two million dollar condo. So when we say affordability, right, it's a very it's a very subjective term, you know. Uh, to somebody, it may not be affordable. It's not because he cannot pay for it. Huh? It's not because he cannot pay. He is not willing to pay that price. So we need to understand right. one thing as a consumer, right? Is it because you are not willing to pay that price and you think it's very expensive that you are coming to this conclusion? You see, when I say this, uh, there's no right or wrong answer. Ultimately, the, the, the right. client, the consumer is always right. Whatever you think of, you are right because you are in your position to make the best decision for yourself. But if you are taking that decision because you feel it's expensive, but you could have taken that chance and you could have bettered your future, it is also a responsibility you owe to yourself. So you need to acknowledge that accountability there. You cannot blame, oh, I was not told this 10 years ago. You, know, you will hear this also. If I knew 10 years ago, I would have done it. You know? So you need to also be accountable to yourself. You only have one life to live, you know. You only have one life to make the best out of. If you choose to live it till your last day in this fashion, you're accountable for that ultimately. Because you have made all that decisions from day one till your last day as to how you're going to live in between this journey. So right. if you want to live a different life, you have to make the decision to go. Agents are not there to make decisions for, for all these people. You know? We are there to, to show them what's right, what the options available, and to some extent, nudge them into it. I will just call myself, you know, there are some people who are like, uh, they know they have to cross the bridge to go to the next stage. But some people will stop at the first stage. They are frozen. Then you have to tell them, don't worry, this bridge is built as a very solid base. You are about 100 kilograms, but this bridge, uh, 500 kilograms, also you jump down there, also won't break. So you try crossing step by step. Some people will go, ah, okay, la, can, la. we go, then halfway, oh, la, man, oh, so deep downstairs. Ah. Oh, yo, how? Ah? Then they'll freeze down there. I think, shall I turn back or not? So then you have to sit down there and say, hey, you already come halfway already, what? The other half is just very short distance away. You don't look down, you look straight and you go. You turn back and you always look backwards. So, you know, these are things which we do to encourage, just like in your profession, you're a coach. There are people who can actually naturally achieve their health goals. Yeah. Why would they need a coach? Because sometimes they hit roadblocks. They hit, they hit roadblocks because sometimes they don't know what to do or because, because when they actually are going through that journey, they are new to it, they are getting multiple signals, they are just not aligned, they get some cloudiness in the head. So you need somebody to talk to and, and, and you know trash this out and work things through and all that. So that's where we come in. We come in there to, to see how this can be aligned to work for you. Uh, if you have a certain situation, how do we now work around the situation to, to get the better outcome for you? So this is essentially our job, actually. Right. Sean, I'm going to stop you here for a while. Um, we have another viewer from uh, LinkedIn. Um, because yes. we are live on LinkedIn as well. So thank you, Kuban. Kuban has said, as, select, as a select few increase their affordability or is it general across Singapore? Okay, that's a very good question. Definitely, just like COVID, some businesses flourished. Their shares went up and all that, especially Zoom. You know, Zoom clearly went off. Anything which is offline, uh, Amazon Web Services, of the charts. Netflix, Netflix grew their subscriptions, but naturally some other business will suffer. 
So when 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 things like this happen, affordability go up, right? There will be some segments of the community who will make more money. Their affordability will be matched, or they will increase up exponentially. So instead of them looking for a maybe a one million dollar condo now because their income has gone up, suddenly because of this shift, right? They are now in higher demand. They change companies. They get 30%, 40% more income. They'll be looking for a higher target now. There'll be some people who have uh, who have companies who are like hedge against this kind of uh, pandemic situation. They're a little bit more recession-proof. They have deeper pockets, so they're able to finance things too. Their affordability will probably be the same. There will be some people who are displaced. But people who are displaced may not form a substantially large community they would still be like downsizing. There are a lot of people who downsize and move to HDBs. You know, uh, there's a lot of uh, transactions going on during this period. One of them was people who were selling off their condo and moving to HDB. Yep. Why? Because they want to free up some cash. They want to put aside reserves because they didn't plan for this kind of eventualities because they were highly leveraging their, their, their incomes against the property. They probably didn't have a good reserve aside. And maybe one of them have uh, lost their job out of this or have taken a pay cut. So they want to you know balance their balance sheet, I would say. So things like this were happening. So when we say generally affordability has gone up, it has gone up generally but it will not apply across the board to everybody. But here we are, I'm, say, I'm speaking in the context of why the price is still on an upward trend. The price is always an upward trend because affordability is generally growing. Now, for those people who are impacted and they are buying something smaller, more affordable property, it is still within the affordability to do it. But whether the price was same one year ago for that property they bought, you must see that, that price indicator. All the properties have jumped up. If they had done this one year ago, they would have gotten it cheaper. But because they are doing it during this time period, they're buying it a bit more expensive. But again, from the affordability standpoint, this is something affordable for them. Thank you, Sean. So I Thank I you. When, uh, I mean, if, uh, if I didn't come across very clearly, do, do drop me a message. I'm also on LinkedIn. Do drop me a message. I'm happy to just pick up the phone and have a chat with you. Thank you for that uh, maybe question. You want, maybe, Sean, you want to tell your LinkedIn um, contact as well? So, Kuban can um, inquire more about it. It's still the same. Sean Travolta. I'm probably the only one around with that name. Not John Travolta, please, uh, Kuban. No, it's Sean Travolta. Travolta. Yes. <laughs> but, but Sean Travolta definitely is going to get his uh, jet planes, right, Sean? Right? You're going to take me for a ride, buddy. Right? 100%. Bro. Um, 100%. All right. Uh, we are now at 50 minutes. Uh, you know, great conversation going on. A roof over our head. Uh, we got a few more questions to ask, Sean. Um, I'm going to jump into the real estate right now. Sean, uh, why real estate is still the best asset for wealth creation? Okay. Um, there are many ways to generate wealth. I think there will be people who will tell you that uh, you have stocks and shares, equities, uh, and they also have these alternative investments today, which is growing very big. Things like your Bitcoin may fall within that definition uh there's also some groups which are selling whiskey barreling you know uh many kind of alternative investments are available uh but predominantly when we talk about wealth creation and assets right uh the the, the most common comparison i get even from my own clients is uh instead of putting here shall i put it in my stocks and shares like can i buy more sq shares can i buy more dbs shares because i'm seeing this thing happening i'm seeing that thing happening uh and it's a bit more easier for me okay now the, the thing is this, 
when you want to compare assets, there are advantages and disadvantages. And, and not all assets are for everybody. Where I say real estate is the best asset is taking reference from all the millionaires in our history who have grown their wealth. Most of them have grown it through their real estate. And, and their strategy is very, very specific. They will buy and they will buy and they will buy. They don't buy and sell, buy and sell, buy and sell. They accumulate. And there's a reason for that fundamentally. But there's also a good sizable amount of people who will say, look, stocks and shares are for me. And, and, and when we talk to these people, they will say, number one reason is liquidity. I can sell anytime. Number, one, number two reason is affordability. I have 20,000. I can play this game. I can grow it. So the, the, the price of entry and the liquidity of this asset uh, is the number one reason why these guys go. Now, there's no right or wrong answer again. Uh, the people, the proponents who will, who will lean towards uh, stocks and shares are very strong supporters. There are probably people who like to see the charts uh, looking at the candlestick going up, going down, the green and the red. They'll probably put the Bollinger Bands in between and they'll start you know, looking a bit more actively on where the, the downwind is, where the, the peak is and things like that. These people like to do it. So they will naturally have a liking to it. Okay, They like to do that. They, they prefer doing that because small amount of money, they don't worry so much. If they get their hands burned, they always try it again. Real estate is very different. Real estate, yes, it requires a lot of capital. But remember, it is only a set where you just need to put in $1 and the bank is willing to put in $3 for you. Your equity in a property at the time of purchase is 25%. 75% the bank is taking the risk on you. So when you have a 75% partner coming in to invest with you down there, uh, you only have to pay them for the cost of borrowing. You don't have any other asset classes which does that for you. And you are not uh, valued by only your percentage down there. You know, you're valued by the property you own. So when you talk about wealth creation, like I mentioned last time, you know, $1 million, I can buy a 10, $1 million property. My net worth will be $10 million. Right. Today, I'll probably buy maybe two if I have $1 million cash or maybe three. Depends on how I want to play the game, how I want to structure the entire asset and things like that. But here's the thing. The real advantage of real estate as a point, real estate as a point of uh, asset and uh, wealth creation comes in from the fact that number one, the banks are willing to leverage with you and give you the money to go and buy. At a very, very cheap, cheap rate in Singapore, we're talking about 2% being very high today, but if you go to most countries, it's about 4%, 5% really. Singapore, 2% is really dirt cheap. No, even your credit card don't give you that, no? To buy your Gucci, your LV and all that. You go and buy a luxury car, you don't get the same rate, no? Why is right. it only real estate is so cheap? Because the banks know it's a safe asset. So they're willing to put the money with you, right? You go and buy a Rolex and you tell the bank, hey, give me 75% equity. You go and buy a Ferrari and tell the bank, uh, put in 80% uh, of my money for me. I want at 2%. Nobody will give you at 2%. They'll probably borrow you, but probably at a 4 to 5% rate. So that is one key advantage. Another key concept of real estate, right, is if, if, you, if I talk to somebody today, right, I'll tell them, look, if you today you buy a private property, in the context of private property, you are going at 25%. By the time you, you pay up and your children are grown up and all that, probably you have paid about 80%. So let's say now you buy $1 million and this takes place over a period of 15 over years and you pay up up to 80%. Price has gone up by another 40-50% from there. So if you already have a property value of $1.5 million and you have 80% equity inside, okay, simple calculation, 80% right? equity means that's your value. 20% is still covered by the loan. 
So if you take that 80% value of the $1.5 million, you have approximately $1.2 million in terms of equity in that property right now. For which you put in very little money because your money has grown. And out of the $1.2 million, if your children suddenly applies for medicine in Singapore and they don't get a place for medicine, you know, many of these people will have this thing, oh yeah, I never get medicine, I must send overseas. But you send them to, to London to study or Australia, study, it's going to cost you half a million dollars. Who's going to borrow you this money now? This is where your real estate comes in as your private bank, your personal private bank. You can go to your banker, you can tell them, look, I got $1.2 million equity in this property. Can I take an equity debt loan? An equity term loan will give you 75% of your equity back to you at a certain borrowing cost, which is the same as property, you know, 2%. So now you can take up to 70% of $1.2 million. That's about $840,000 to send your kid to even Harvard if you want to. <laughs> at 2%, you know, education loan is not that cheap, right? Yep. It's not that cheap, you know? And they'll ask you a thousand and one question. They might not give you all. Here, it is up to you. They can give you the money. You do whatever you want. If you don't have a children who's going to go and study and all that, let's say your business suffers. You're a business person. It suffers. You need to raise two, three hundred thousand capital. This is how you raise capital at a very low cost. You go and do a business loan. It's six to seven percent. Flat rate. And they may not give you a lot because they will say, hey, look, your balance sheet do not add up. But with property, nobody asks you this question. You have the ability to do that now. So this is where wealth creation comes in and it's a bit more flexible in that sense. But it's a long-term game. Really, it's a long-term game. Wealth creation, you need to have a very long-term mindset. You need to look very far. You need to know what's your end game. When is your retirement? At your retirement, where will you be? What is your step-down plan? How will I now enjoy walking around, smelling the flowers, bringing my grandkids for holidays and all that in a very easy way? Don't stress myself too much. I got revenue coming in. I got something parked up. I'm leaving a legacy behind. Very few people see very far ahead. No? Yeah, I mean, but, uh, most of us, uh, I think, only looks around five years ahead, 10 years ahead. But now we are talking about 40 years ahead, right? You have to. You have to because 40 years down the road, you can't be trying to rewind the clock again. No. You can't rewind your clock. There's only one road down there and you've already gone past it already. You have gone past right. many checkpoints. By the time you reach your end road. And if you don't go and do that early today, you will. You, you probably will not... You may have regrets la, on your dying bed, so to speak. Sorry sorry if this sounds a bit crude. La, yeah. but you may have regrets on your dying bed. No? Alright, Sean. We are going to take another two more questions and then um, we are done for the day. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit on the insane prices. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, your expertise on this, right? I mean, of course, many uh, investors are coming to Singapore. Uh, many also taking up a lot of properties in Singapore because they want to make um, this as their homeland, right? Um, due to this, and do you think they are they are a part of it to driving the prices up for the you know for the locals? Okay, uh, it is true. Foreigners are taking up properties in Singapore, especially at very high prices, but. We have to understand one thing. Where are these high prices happening? Typically in the very central locations. Uh, you're talking about Orchard. You're talking about Sentosa. You're talking about Bukit Timah. Uh, yeah. So these are the areas. If you talk about HDB, you're also looking at the central areas. Dawson, Pinnacle at Duxton, the, the usual stuff. Now, I'm talking about the peak pricing, uh, not the regular $1 million HDB. That one, almost every estate, even Woodlands two days ago had one. 
So those, those, those are the norm. It has to break the pricing at some point. One. At some point, all the price will break 1 million. Uh, if I remember now, even Bukit Panjang, the latest was about 980,000. Almost there. Almost a million. Almost there. Almost there. So if you ask me next year, Bukit Panjang will break, very high chance. If you are a seller today coming into the market and you realize that this unit has very similar attributes to yours, sold at 980,000, will you stop short at 980,000 or will you ask for more? As a seller, you will definitely ask for more. Yeah. So because there's a price set down there, you have to keep breaking the price. That's how the mindset works down here. So when we look at foreigners taking up properties at, at very high prices, um, yes, a lot of foreigners are coming in. Today, primarily, you are seeing all these transactions happening because a couple of years back, prior, just prior to COVID, we were quite fortunate. <clears throat> we had this global investor program in Singapore, which is primarily run by EDB. I work very closely with a law firm, which is uh, connected to them to plug in my clients into that program as well. So I, I have a little bit of knowledge in that. So they, they had this uh, two categories uh, of people who they were trying to attract in. First category was an established business with at least uh, $500 million in annual revenue. Owners of such businesses are always welcome to settle down under the Global Investor Program, set up base here. And by setting up base here means that you also... Uh, hire a lot of people around here and all that. So as part of that package, they will offer you a PR with that. It's a very open thing. They already announced that. So you have people like Dyson and all these guys coming in and you see the yep. price breaking down. The second category of people were what we call the unicorns. Nothing associated with my division though. Uh, <laughs> even though I was in that position, but you right. know, uh, when they say unicorns, these are companies which have a corporate valuation of 500 million and above. So this is where uh, Tamasic comes quite big. Like, Tamasic and the entities will go and scout around the world for such kind of unicorn businesses and, you know, offer them, look, uh, why don't you come and set up in Singapore? I'll come in a series A funding of maybe 200 million, but I need you to come to Singapore and set it up. So when, when you boom in your series B, series C, right, you are a Singapore brand now. So it brings a lot of uh, activity, a lot of revenue, a lot of interest in Singapore. We are being very open about this right now because we want to attract very good talents, right? So the talent must start from from the apex level. So these guys were also attracted to come in. So you have people like Gojag and all these people are coming in, setting up. Tamase and Sequoia plays a very heavy role in, in, in finding these kind of good deals and bring them on board. But that's how also uh, one championship came about actually. So these were the brands they bring in and then they also have that going down there. Now, when you have these two categories, the third category, what they call the 30 next, came about uh, just at, towards the tail end of 2019 when Hong Kong started right. to have riots. You know, when the Hong Kong riots took place, right, well, key, the key pro impact for them was not really the, the, the streets burning up and all that, but a lot of the fund houses, mutual funds, family offices all moved up because they found Hong Kong to be a little bit unstable. They were, you see, in, in the entire world, there are about five international financial centers. Uh, you have Dubai, you have London, you have New York, you have uh, Zurich, you have Hong Kong, and you have Singapore, about six or seven of them. So Hong Kong was the main hub for Asia. So when that was happening, right, a lot of people were starting to getting very frightened. Hey, you know, Hong Kong is not a stable place. Probably there are some Chinese elements working down there. So much so that everybody was getting very frightened. They started to look for alternative. Singapore, just nice. They came up with a 30 next program. You don't have to show too much. You just need to show... I think something like uh, 150 million abroad and 50 million to be brought in Singapore, something like that. And, and, and they open up this, this category for these people. 
suddenly from 2019 all the way, a lot of these houses moved to Singapore. So CBD was packed. You have right now, I think according to EDB statistics, at least at least uh, 400 uh, family offices already set up and another 100 more on application. Something like that. I have to check this number. The last I read was something along with that line. So each family office brings along that kind of tremendous value, that kind of job opportunities for locals, uh, the kind of skill sets which they need, the kind of investment ability they have to drive the market with us. So when this, now you see, really I told you about the 19.8 million, right? Billion dollars. Now you got these guys coming in. Value, okay. From what I can tell, I I can be corrected on this. It's almost 60 billion dollars. So you have this amount of money flooding into Singapore to invest. Real estate will be one key driver, especially with COVID coming up, because it's a safe asset. So a lot of these things were happening in the market. So when foreigners start taking up properties, ah, uh, they they not just coming in because the Singapore has a very good governance, a loan, they have rule of law, everybody is treated equally. It's a safe country. A lot, in fact, my my foreign clients, number one reason they like to come to Singapore is their daughters and their wives can go out shopping and come back in one piece. Number two reason is our medical facilities are top notch. They don't trust their doctors. Ah, uh, we're very uh, brutal about nice. this. Many of my foreign clients, when they come to me, right, they come to me because they their friends will tell me, "Hey, can you help him find a doctor to go and see?" You know, they want to go and do their medical check. So this starts like this. So they come to Singapore, they do their medical, then they look around, they see houses and all that, and they start to ask you about, "Hey, can my children want to study in NUS? How do I get them to apply?" So when you when you when you listen to them, you ask them what's their age, and there's at least about eight years more to go. You know, they are planning ahead. Eight years more to go means they'll start buying houses. Because they don't want their children to stay in somebody's rented house because they will come and stay, and these are people who are wealthy. So this is how the cycle starts for these guys. So when they come in and they buy, right, the one key reason why they buy is the strength of Singapore dollar. I I will illustrate this one very good example. I, I had a privilege of serving one client uh, many years back. So this was a referral from India, and uh, this guy was referred by a friend down, and he told me that this guy wants to come and do his MBA. So he came, and then I, I I showed him some places and all that to rent. He said, "No, no, I want to buy." I said, "Hey, but you are coming here to study your MBA. Why you want to buy?" I said, "No, I got my reasons." Okay, fine. So in the end, you know, Nomenton Park, the old place, I got him an apartment down there at about eight hundred and right. uh, almost one million dollars. Sorry, about one million dollars when I bought this many years back. So he finished his MBA and he was working in Singapore for a year plus. So I thought he's going to settle down here and all that. But one day he called me and said, "Sure, I need to speak to you urgently." So I went down. I met up with him, and he told me, "Look, I have to sell this house quite fast." I said, "Why?" No, because I need to go back and take over my family business. My dad is not feeling too well. He asked me to come over. I said, "Okay," but the market is not good today. At that time, the market was on a downturn, so there was fluctuation, not much cooling measure at that period. So it was on a downturn. At that time, the value was about eight hundred and forty-five, eight hundred fifty thousand. So I told him, "You're going to be selling at this price." He told me, "No, no problem. We just find a buyer and sell off." So I thought maybe this guy very loaded lah. It's okay lah. One hundred fifty thousand, he lose his coffee money or what lah. You know. Then I started to market and all that. Fortunately, I got him a better price, like eight hundred seventy-five thousand, and he signed everything. No emotion, no. You know, bro. I tell you, ah, uh, Indians come down here and invest. Ah, uh, they are very, very dollar savvy. Ah, uh, they are very savvy. And for a guy who is like losing one hundred twenty thousand in my head, I couldn't sleep. Yeah. And he paid commissions some more. No, never negotiate. So you know, with all my clients who are foreigners, I always do this. Uh, you can call it my my hack. Huh? I'll volunteer to send them to the airport because that's the only time they'll be inside the car with me, stuck for the next half an hour, and they have no chance but to talk to me. <laughs> so I use that opportunity to pick on them. Lah. So I, I I told him, look, I mean, I I need to ask you this question. 
you bought this house at $1 million and you sold it for $875,000. For me, I myself cannot accept as a Singaporean. You are an Indian. I know Indians pretty well. How are you able to stomach this? So he told me, bro, why are you feeling like this? Yeah, because you just sold 125000 I said, then he told me, but in what? In, in, in Singapore dollars? But I'm bringing back Indian dollars, don't you think? Then I was like, okay, what am I missing over here? I said, hey, look, I'm very blur. You're my first foreign client. Can you please tell me what is going on in your head or not? It's eating me up. I couldn't sleep last night. So he told yeah. me, okay, look, when I came to Singapore to buy the property, the Indian rupee was $1 to 37 rupees. Now I'm selling it and bringing back at $1 to 54 rupees. I'm going back richer with my own money. And I stayed five, this five years for free. Even after paying your commission. That's when uh, for me, was, oh, so this is why these guys come here. They are not buying the property. They are hedging their currency against Singapore dollar because of the volatility. And during COVID period, this was highly prevalent because a lot of countries, when they're, you see, when you have economic stagnation, people are not spending GDP contraction, right? To increase the GDP level, you need to have domestic spending. When at a time when people are keeping their money, they're keeping their reserves, they're tightening their belts, how do you make people spend? One way is what they call quantitative easing. So they print money. Lah. That's what US is going on right now. It's on QE infinity. You know, they went through many rounds. Now it's, they print until they finish. Lah. They're printing, printing, printing. So people feel they got more cash on hand. They start spending again. That's to induce spending. Now, when you do that, one of the side effects of that is it, uh, the good thing is it helps to increase domestic spending. But the flip side is your currency value will drop against another currency which is stronger, especially if they don't have that high QE levels as you. So Singapore was a little bit more controlled in terms of quantitative easing. We do, but not at the level of some countries. So many of these guys who are affluent, you see, these guys coming to Singapore, right? they're of some level. They are probably well-connected both domestically with the politicians and all that. So they will probably get some inkling. So if they know the country is going to print, they know that their $1 million is going to be 900000 in one year, they will definitely put it in Singapore. La. Safe country, what? Where else? And it's a financial center. Right. Some of money going is very clean already. So this is why foreigners are coming here. The key question is, do they impact the general market? They do impact the general market, but this impact is highly felt in the core central regions where you see a very high price disparity. Core central, we are talking about District 9, 10, 11, 1, 4, these kind of locations, right? You will see a very high price bandwidth starting from $2,500 per square feet, right up to even $6,000 per square feet now. That is your price band. Of course, this $2,500 is moving closer and closer now because your rest of core region is catching up to almost $3,000. There's an overlap going on. So with that overlap, they have to bridge that gap ready. Right. That's just market movement. But the biggest impact is the core central region. Rest of core region, outer core region, your, your other areas like Tampanese, Pasiris, Woodlands, Chuachukong, you won't have that kind of big impact because of these guys coming. Because they don't play in these areas. They don't throw their money in these areas. They only look for the cost and because they also want to buy something to brand themselves with. It's a trophy home for them anyway, right? You will see Sentosa prices going like that. It's, it's just the location. They won't want to be seen anywhere. You know, when I have my clients coming in and I tell them, hey, you know, Thompson Hospital is not bad. Thompson, I don't know. Can you send me to Mount e Novina? Arrange for me a doctor down there, can or not? Why? Because my friend went to Mount e Novina, lah. So I cannot go anything lesser. It's a, it's a, it's a face right. issue for them. Right. So same thing. So when they're buying here, it's good to engage in a conversation to find out, hey, who have I buy down here? Who you know who have bought down here? Then, then they will tell you, you know, yeah, my friend bought at this place. So you roughly know where the competition is for them. 
they usually want to buy one step better, a better deal down there. All right, Sean. Uh, well, I got to say this is a very in-depth uh, information. Uh, we talked about a lot of on the pre-COVID, post-COVID. Uh, we talk about housing prices crashing. Uh, we talk about income rising up. Wow, it's uh, lots of uh, information. And I'm sure viewers also have enjoyed that. Uh, viewers are watching this. We are live on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We are on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn as well. Uh, Sean, any last uh, tip of an advice for our viewers within a minute? And then we'll be able to say adios, amigos. Well, if if you are looking at real estate from a very traditional standpoint or group over your head, uh, I can only tell you one thing. Gone are the days where let my parents uh, buy one house, stay 40 years, and then hope that the house will do something magic for them. It doesn't happen like that anymore. Other than your own income, right? What else are the sources of income you have today to build a better retirement? Because the people who bought houses 40 years ago today are feeling the, the pinch of rising costs rising medical bills and their current property if you stay down there for 40 years may not be yielding the kind of uh, interest which they would want it to provide them with you buy a house 40 years later you want to sell then what are you going to buy after that so if you if you if you want to avoid the kind of traps which is going on because you see the government came up with many of these schemes with very good intent and all that but the exponential growth we, we experienced over the last 40 years right we have become highly connected to the uh, to the local economy and the domestic and global economy. We're highly connected. So every single shock, every single benefit is going to come that way and all that. So you need to really plan forward. And one way to do that is to look at your financial prudence level. Uh, you need to look at what you're spending. And, and one thing I always tell young couples when they come and talk to me is, do you have a balance sheet? If you don't have, better start one. Because this is your lifesaver. If you don't look at your balance sheet and scrutinize every single expense, right? You will never know where your money is leading to. And you will keep saying, I can't afford, I can't afford. Because why? Every month you're spending on things which you are spending on, not realizing that this is where you can cut on uh, to save, uh, free up some money and then go and do something better for yourself. So always tell that, go and look for a balance sheet. And you need to set aside reserves in, in today's uh, context because, you know, without your reserves, uh, you, you it's just like any business. Many businesses suffered during COVID. Why? Because of online uh, e-commerce and all that, there were a lot of new businesses, people from home are starting businesses and all that. But if you look at business from a traditional standpoint, you need to have a operating capital, you need to have a reserve capital. Reserve capital is your war chest. When times are bad, you need to draw down. Just like Singapore. Singapore has a very sizable reserve. And because we had that, we were able to weather the storm of COVID. If Singapore didn't have that kind of money, we are all dead, you know. So... You take that lesson from what our government has done and apply it to yourselves. You must have a very good reserve for your future. You must have your, your money parked in the right place. You can always tell yourself, one. I always tell this to my clients, uh, every $1 you spend uh, can, e can, can either, either make your pocket richer or make someone else's pocket richer. Always understand that when you spend the money. I'm not saying don't spend. Sometimes you just have to spend, no choice. But look at where you can save a little bit, you know, watch your expenses and then put the money in the right places. Real estate is a fantastic way of saving money. If you are good with stocks and shares and you're making money out of that, please put that inside there. Make money for yourself. I'm not saying only real estate. If you're good with stocks and shares, by all means, go ahead. I'm, I, I don't know about stocks and shares, so I can't speak for that. I only know real estate. So for me, it's limited option. But for you, if you know, by all means, go and do. The, the other thing is that if you are someone who is not good at stock and share and you want to look at real estate, buy the right type. 
how do you know whether you're buying the right type talk to a proper realtor i think that's very important talk to someone who sits down and listens to you ask you a lot of questions sometimes you know when i i talk to clients right they get uneasy when i ask them question i always tell them one thing if you don't tell me i can't help you if you just want me to execute your order i can do it very easy but if you don't tell me enough i can't help to streamline and bring you down the right way you know to go and do all these things so talk to a right realtor find the right asset for you something affordable something good something which has got good capital appreciation in the long run and something which will fit into your long term uh, retirement plan and end goal it has to fit in that plan so you need to know what you are going to do okay uh, of course i will always say this to every client real estate is your true key to your retirement why because you know i i've got a very famous question no bro if you look at facebook and everything right you will see a lot of real estate just popping up and all that can you name me the number one sales person in singapore or not when this person talks every year once a year everybody will listen this is why i say i like real estate real estate we got one top sales person uh, who drives the market for us every year he just did last month right anyone you know no no wild guess ever watched the national day rally sorry ever watched the national day rally mhm who's the oh, number one okay. salesman <laughs> mhm every year every year this is also another foreign client told me you know i always watch a prime minister talk and national day rally because he actually tells me what where i should go and invest because when the government talks to you and say i want to do this i want to do that they actually do it and they're spending money to do it so if they are spending money down there to do it they are not going to do it because it's charity singapore is singapore incorporated at the end of the day everything runs with profit on mind so if you are investing with them you're going to make money so you need to also understand why this is your true key in the singapore's context because because if you just know where you going to invest you see where the government is doing and it's backing you a government when they put in money they are backing you up down there it's a right. government backstop bro you can't go wrong you cannot go wrong and that's why government got involved with the cooling measures because they don't they don't want this market to drop they don't want this market to they got actively involved they tweak the levers here and there to ensure that this shocks are not happening anymore foreigners coming in dumping the property down here you see dump the property they can go back richer because they had that price advantage they are converting back to their currency but today they can't do it because they are paying 30% more than any local so when they get 30% more means they have to convert at a higher rate to get the same money back which means that will bridge that that difference you know they 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 don't have to undercut you and uh, to get a good price and they exit higher for them that is bridging the gap to make the entire playground more level for everyone that is the true intent of the additional buyer stamp duty which is laid on them and they also know it i got foreign clients telling me oh i should not be buying in singapore i tell them look you also know why this is happening you just see whether this rate is tolerant for you you can swallow this rate you come and do and they still come you know they still come and buy because they know the value of doing this long term so that's what i will say like i mean you really are financially prudent you must understand the market talk to the right person buy the right property even if you don't buy and sell buy and sell if you buy one good right property it will serve your retirement very well so thank you sean it's been an amazing like uh, like wow i i love to continue this but unfortunately is 1 hour 20 minutes um right. there are so many things that you know wanted to talk with you but of course we have to cut up uh, because we try to keep it within an hour but thank yeah. you so much for putting in your time 
and taking time to explain as well in our roof over our head at Kopi with Vance. Uh, definitely going to catch up another cup of coffee with you very soon. For now, no co- coffee until I get back my voice. Yeah, uh, yeah, thank you yeah. so much. We will stay connected. Thank you, Sean. Thank you so much for everybody who's coming online. And uh, bro, again, I always watch your shows. Keep doing what you're you. doing. You guys are doing an amazing job. Uh, thank and, and thank you for having me today. I'm, again, very privileged to be here. I know if I thank talk you. about real estate, I cannot stop talking. They say Indian take the mic, cannot <laughs> stop. So, yeah. True to that, I'm, I'm a true Indian, so I do that. But then again, that's because I am very passionate in my work. I, I do a lot of research and there's a lot of information which I have, which can be very relevant to people. I hope today everyone right. enjoyed this program. Uh, if you're watching live, thank you very much for taking the time to watch live. If you're coming on the recorded version of things, keep sharing this to everybody. I hope more people benefit out of this. And, you know, once I hope you get more viewers coming in as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Thank Good you. Night. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, so that was Sean. Um, wow, was that amazing? Uh, one hour, 20 minutes. Um, in fact, today I was um, having a, two podcasts. Uh, one was doing a moderator. Um, and of course, all happened on a very unpredicted day where I actually lost my voice. But uh, that didn't stop me from conducting. Um, thank you to Sean who joined us and spending almost one hour, 20 minutes on uh, stuff that he knows and where he was at properties. Um Thank you. Thank you so much. So we will be back again on Wednesday, 9 p.m. Um, on a different topic, of course. Um, for the, like I said, past three months or four months, we've always been on the health topic. So now we are going into lifestyle, um, probably more on motorbikes, cars, uh, hobbies, you know, just to look at different ways of exploring. All right. Um, so it's time for me to say adios, amigo. Thank you so much for joining with me. And uh, I'll catch you soon. This is Vance. Copy events. Catch up.